This is Revision Church Atlanta Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Wesley Knight, the lead pastor here at Revision Church Atlanta. Here at RCA, we leverage the power of prayer, personal influence, community development, and love to empower transformation in Christ. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Thank you for tuning in. blessed by that um, praise and worship time, by spending time together just praising the Lord. So, so glad that we could do this together in community wherever we are. You know, I'm so grateful for this platform that we have a chance to still worship together. I know this was a very crucial, especially during the height of the pandemic. And uh, you know, during that time, although there were so many different tragedies that were happening all over the world, you know, I was uh, able to find little silver linings here and there. And one of those was the empty roadways. And maybe some of you, like me, you had to travel during that time. You know, maybe you were an essential worker you still found yourself on the subway heading to work each day or heading, having to jump uh, in your car. You know, for me, during that time, I was working at a church in Maryland, and we were distributing P PPE to uh, various organizations, masks, gloves, bleach, and all of that. And during this time, I would get on the roadway for my 35-minute commute on Route 29 and some of the busier highways that run through the suburbs between Baltimore and D.C., and, you know, it was some of the smoothest, fastest, stress-free driving of my life. The roads were clear, the traffic lights were green, Google Maps was blue, the speed limit was pretty much as you wish, and the law enforcement was non-existent, and I was pretty happy. <laughs> now, I don't know if you experienced this. But just in case, if you were not out and about during that time, the only thing I could probably compare it to was like Christmas morning. There was pretty much nobody on the roads. Even the airports were clear. You know, at that time, my mom had to um, head over to Guyana for a few months to help care for her dad. So I had to go down to Orlando, get the dog, and come back. And during this time, you know, I was flying in and out of Orlando. I, I think of Orlando as being one of America's busiest airports. It's kind of like one of our playgrounds with Disney World and Universal and SeaWorld. You know, the airport is always buzzing with kids, parents, grandparents, strollers, business people. It, it's so congested. But this time, when I went through security, there was not a single soul anywhere. There was no, I was the line. So I just walked right up to the, to the TSA agent, showed my boarding pass and my, my ID, went through the security like a breeze and straight to my gate. It was just, it was lovely. I'm not going to lie. But now, boy, the roads pack up, pack up. You know, it's, everyone is there. Everyone is back on the roads. And my patience has been tested, y'all. I, you know, when I get on the roads in the mornings, sometimes I can feel my frustration level rising. And, uh, you know, it's because when I'm getting at the, on the road going to work, there's also 
driver's ed students also getting on the roads at 8 and 8.30 in the morning. They're not sure whether to press the accelerator or the brakes during rush hour, okay? And then, I don't know how many of y'all have also find, yourse find yourselves behind slower drivers when you really need to get somewhere. And then once you get the courage to come out from behind that person, you just kind of can't help yourself but to turn and just take a little glance to see who is it that I was just driving behind. And I also just moved here from a tourist city, Washington, D.C. Now, I understand there are a lot of tourists that come to D.C., and so I try to be patient. But sometimes it's just, I can't. I'm like, okay, guys, like, just accelerate. Just go until you get to where your GPS is taking you. And I don't know if some of you guys have experienced a huge slowdown on the highway and you think you're going to get to that moment where you see, oh, there's an accident or, oh, there's, this is what has caused a slowdown. But after a few minutes, the traffic just picks up and you're like, why were we stopping? We just, I mean, there's no reason. There was just no reason at all. So now life has resumed back to normal. The roads are packed. The traffic lights are red again. Google Maps is red. And the speed limit is pretty much as posted because law enforcement is back. And I'm honestly usually kind of frustrated. Now there's road frustration and then there's road rage, okay? Now road rage for me is when your frustration has gone out of control. It's your outward and aggressive expression of frustration as a driver. And AAA estimates that eight out of 10 drivers demonstrate aggressive driving. Now, perhaps you have never engaged in road rage. Amen, hallelujah. But maybe you, like me, have been a victim of road rage. You know, in 2009, Auto Advantage Survey said that New York, Dallas-Fort Worth, Detroit, Atlanta, and Minneapolis-St. Paul were rated the top five American cities for road rage. And I can testify because within the last two weeks of living here, I personally have experienced obscene gestures, honking, screaming, and yelling. Someone behind me the other day was fishtailing and weaving. I mean, literally, I just started to pray because I thought this person was going to run me over. Making improper and unsafe lane changes. Y'all, it's crazy out here. But they say that most drivers that are doing this are between ages 25 to 39, but we can find road rage behaviors across all generations. The boomers are most likely to yell at someone. Gen Xers said they're most likely to tailgate. About 51% said, okay, I'll, I'll probably tailgate somebody. And 50% said, yeah, I, I'll, probably be, I'll probably yell. Now, millennials admitted that most tailgating, tailgating is usually their thing. Gen, X, Gen Z said, uh, mostly yelling. And the younger Gen Zs, maybe about 17, 18, year, 18 years old, said, tailgating is probably something they might do. 
And almost 80% of all drivers affirmed that they had experienced extreme anger, aggression, or road rage while driving. And 78% of drivers admit to engaging in aggressive behavior themselves. Not revision years, of course. Amen. But they also, AAA also explains that the worst driving is usually during the summer months that can dribble into September and even October. So hopefully safer driving is on the way. But my question is, why? Why is this happening? Uh, maybe because of impatience while waiting at traffic lights or parking or for parking? Impatience, waiting for passengers to enter the vehicle. I don't know, sometimes you're waiting for a parking spot and you see someone come to get into the car and they sit, I don't know what they're doing. They sit, they know I'm waiting for the spot, but they sit there for, I don't know, a reason. Okay, and then anger when a multi-lane highway narrows. So all these things build impatience, anger, frustration, and annoyance. And, you know, even when you're on the highway and you're seeing that it's red on Google Maps, you still hear the voice. You are on the fastest route despite unusual traffic. And sometimes I wonder, am I, I mean, are we really on the fastest route? Is, can you find another way? This definitely feels like the slowest route. Well, these emotions were felt by not only you and me, but also some travelers. The journey started off pretty good, but the road rage, it got real. And we're going to find their story in the book of Exodus, chapter 14. So let's begin with prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word. We pray that right now that you will um, speak into our lives and to uh, us personally, and that um, the experiences of the past will be relevant for us today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so Jacob's 12 sons and all their families long time ago used to live in Goshen, just by in Egypt. And instead of Pharaoh making the Israelites his allies, he decided to make him his slaves. And for over 400 years, they endured backbreaking labor in the sun-scorching heat, making city after city. And every Hebrew baby boy and girl was destined for a life of labor. Their prayers for deliverance seemed unanswered. Their cries unheeded. Their needs unmet. The prayers of when, when we are delivered eventually became if we're delivered. But God heard their cries. He had a plan in place and he delivered them in the most remarkable way. His deliverance plan was, has produced movies, musicals, and cartoons. It's become so famous. There were swarming flies and foul-smelling frogs and a nearly suffocating darkness. And the final blow was the death of the firstborn. Finally, their prayers had been answered. The exodus was happening. They left behind their tears, their pain, and frustration. They were on their way to the promised land, ready to escape and get to their destination right away. So we're going to read our story in Exodus chapter 14, verse 5. It says, 
When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, apparently he had to be told that one and a half million people had just left his territory. All right, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds, of course. What have we done? Letting all these Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with his commander. Verse 8 says, The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel who had left with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers, and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they camped beside the shore near Pihahiroth, beside Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached the people of Israel, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why, why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen when we were in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than to be a corpse in the wilderness. Wow, this is a different kind of road rage. You know, they had triumphantly left Egypt, and they're journeying to the promised land, okay? And I don't know if you've noticed, but sometimes after experiencing a spiritual high, like, whoo, look at this amazing thing God has done, the enemy of our souls makes his attempt to steal and destroy our joy, our blessing and our renewed faith in God. You know, in moments like these, when it seems like, what's going on? It's so important to remember how the Lord has led us in the past, to try to recount those blessings. He encouraged your soul just a little bit. You sing a song of praise to God. You know, singing praises to God beats back the enemy and discourages him. He's able, he's able, I know he's able. I know my Lord is able to carry me through. Why? Well, he healed the brokenhearted. He set the captives free. He made the lame walk again. He caused the blind to see. So let us lean in to the one who can pull you out. And as you do, you'll see that God will bring you peace and indeed rescue you. You know, some years ago, my friends and I were leading a youth conference on a campus of a boarding school back in, George, in Georgetown, Guyana. And honestly, it was a lot to pull off. We brought in speakers from the United States. We had to do fundraising for, for flights, a lot of networking there in the country, you know, organizing food. Um, and the attendees were not staying in uh, Hilton or the Sheraton. They were staying in, in a dormitory. Which, on the first night, contrary to what we were told, we discovered that there wasn't running water. And, I mean, there was running water if you're willing to run and go get it. And so, after, uh, you know, after all of it, the five days, the five-day conference, uh, we were so grateful that it all came together. We felt like it was a success. The workshops were educational. The speakers were inspiring. The outreach ref effort was encouraging. And we were on a high. Praise the Lord. 
And the attendees, you know, as they're leaving, they're like dragging their suitcases, you know, down the sidewalk and, and headed off the campus. And I asked the, some of the girls as they were going, like, hey, were you able to clean up your space before you left? Yes, 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 we did. We did. We took care of everything. Okay, great. Perfect. But since, you know, we were in charge of everything, I said, let me just do one more walkthrough just to make sure that everything was left in good or better condition than how we found it. And to my horror, as I entered the restrooms, okay, I saw that each and every stall had unflushed waste sitting there in the bowls. And you know, I couldn't just leave it there. So I had to grab a bucket, go down three flights of concrete stairs, go to the center of the campus, fill up the water as you know, as much as I could carry to a weight that I could go up, sloshing all over me, all over my clothes, and come on up, pour it into the bowl with hopes that it was enough water pressure to flush the toilet, and then back down again. To say I was livid is probably to describe my emotions delicately. I was, I was frustrated. But I had just remembered that I had rem that I had recently read that singing beats back the enemy who's trying to discourage my my soul. So I decided to try it. God is so good. He's so good to me. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day as I'm climbing the stairs. And you know what, Revisioners? It worked. Honestly, I started to feel better. I was like, you know what? Instead of sulking, I can sing. Instead of panicking, I can praise. I can, even when I'm on the roadway, I can sing hallelujah instead of honking at that super slow driver. Although we should keep the speed limit. Amen. Okay, but it's not natural at first. Sometimes it doesn't feel very natural, but after practice, it can help soothe our nerves, even in the most ridiculous of circumstances. But you may say, you know, but Pastor Tiffany, like, why, you know? Why were the Israelites there in this situation in the first place? How did they end up there? I mean, if God was the one that was leading their life, and lead, this is leading in the most literal way, the most visual sense. I mean, you've got a, a pillar of a, a fire by night, you've got a cloud by day, you just follow it wherever it goes. How in the world did they end up being trapped by the enemy? I mean, so how did that happen? Well, let's take a look. Let's review. Where exactly were they? Were they? Let's go back up to the top of that chapter at the beginning of chapter 14. It says... That then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp, camp by Behahiroth between Migdol and the sea. Camp there along the shore across from Baal Zephon. So this seems to be a pretty specific spot. Okay, So this is this first place, Pihahiroth, is a place of 
where plants were growing, and so it was kind of blocked off, between Migdol and the sea. Migdol is like this tower, it's a fortified city by the Egyptian border. And then, of course, they're by the sea. And Baal Zephon is the land of the north. So basically, they're locked in and they can't go anywhere. And then now you have the Egyptian army that's coming from behind. And chapter 14 begins with the words, then the Lord said. So whenever we're reading and studying the Bible, if a chapter begins with then or but or some kind of conjunction, we can always back up a little bit to gain a little more context because, you know, to start a story with then, it sounds a little weird. So let's go back to Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. It says, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. Now, honestly, if I was one of them, I would have been like, come on, God, we got this. I mean, isn't fastest the best? Now, as a driver, I, I always want the shortest route. I mean, don't you? Take me the direct way there. I don't, I don't necessarily need the scenic route. I just want to get to my destination in the shortest time possible. Uh, you know, I don't know if you ever put the directions into your GPS of a destination that you already know how to get there. Right? You travel there lots of times, but you plug it into your, your GPS, so we know whether it's Waze or Google Maps or whatever you use. Because maybe there's a slowdown on the route that you typically go, but your GPS can tell you a faster route for that day. Because fastest is what we want, right? You're on the fastest route. That's all I'm trying to do. Because in life, we don't really want to take excessive time to choose a definite school major even. Not just on the road, but even just in life. Or even to complete undergrad. Like, oh, God, I just want to complete this quickly, not and take six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. I want to finish it or finish the dissertation or figure out my career path or become financially free or lose weight and get fit, find a life partner. Come on, God, like, just point me in the right direction. I just want to know exactly where you're leading. I don't want to take a long, laborious time. And, you know, sometimes I feel like as a Christian, I do think it could be easy and even expected that after asking God to lead your life, okay, your life which you've surrendered to him, that he would guide you smoothly towards your goals. I mean, after all, it's kind of hard not to notice that some folks seem to be in the fast lane over there. They seem to be uh, going through effortlessly, you know, wow, they're able to close on that house. Mm-hmm. Send their kids to Christian school, get another promotion, wow. <laughs> Have another child, or even one, go on to on another exotic vacation. Sometimes just scrolling through social media, it's like, oh, wow, that's just a success reel of, like, everyone in your life. And all the while, you're like, Lord, remember me? Mm -hmm. You're leading here, right? Uh, you're guiding the ship. Jesus, Savior, piloting me. He leadeth me, oh blessed thought. You, you, you are leading, right? Yes. 
Yes, he is. God is thinking this through. He sees the end from the beginning. And he's thinking about all the possibilities, weighing all the risks. Because God said with the Israelites, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God's number one goal is to save us from ourselves. You know, some have renamed the GPS as God's plan of salvation. So today I say, yes, Lord, I give you permission to lead my life and to lead me to salvation. If the way I'm going or what I want, which to me seems like the most obvious direct route to happiness, actually isn't, then I give God permission to interrupt to do whatever is necessary to save me. Because salvation is first and foremost. God wants you and I to be saved even more than we want to be saved. Going back to sin and to the slavery to sin and possibly even losing eternal life is what we want to avoid. And so God led them, the next verse, verse 18 says, God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. It was God who led them there to that spot. You know, the, um, one of my favorite authors says in the book, Desire of Ages, she writes that God never leads his children otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose which they are fulfilling as co-workers with him. That means that if you and I could see what God sees, then we would say, okay, this is the, yeah, yeah, God, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, this is the way that things should go. God, we are on the right path. So sometimes the fastest, most direct, and obvious path to success in your career or finding your partner or whatever it is may not be the best route. So let's trust God that he's continually leading now, reason number two for the detour is to lead unbelievers to him. So chapter 14, verses 16, 17, 18, it says, going over to chapter 14, God said, pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. And verse 18 says, When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. So this deliverance was also a witness against those who turned to idolatry and questioned the Lord's authority, faithfulness, and power. So, you know, sometimes it can be easy to think, you know, I'm here on this planet to live life, you know, have a family, do something productive for society, and, you know, kind of be happy for, for me and those who I like and, you know, yourself. And, of course, yes, those things are true. But God also wants to use your life and to use my life to be a testimony to unbelievers. My question is, does it have to go through hardship? <laughs> 
You know, one, I remember one summer I um, returned to South Korea to work as a missionary English teacher. And my students were mainly young professionals, uh, college students, um, a variety of people, but they're pretty much adults, and most of which didn't have any religion. And um, during that summer, I took a ton of videos and photos with an actual camera, y'all. Yeah, yeah, the camera. Mm -hmm. It was a while ago. Anyway, I had a blast with my friends throughout the entire summer, and um, I would tell them different stories of things that would happen, things that God would do, like, oh my goodness, we went out and we just really needed it to stop raining for something, and God stopped the rain, and all these different stories. And it was nearing like the end of the summer, and I was preparing to come back to the States, and I did something crazy. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I think I dropped my camera in water and turned it back on and realized that all of my memories from the summer were pretty much erased. And I was so disappointed, it seemed like there was no hope. And so I came back and I was telling all my classes about this and this unfortunate situation. And one of my students, um, I'm not sure if he worked for Samsung or LG, but he's like, hey teacher, you know, I'll, I'll take your camera and see if by chance I'm able to you know, do something with your camera. He's like, honestly, I don't think it's possible, but I'll take a look. I'm like, okay, thanks. Yeah, after several days, he emailed me back and said, I don't know what kind of God you serve, but this was pretty much impossible. But this God that you pray to listens to you. God is able to cover most of your videos and your pictures. And I was elated. And to be honest, I would have gone through that disappointment of losing my pictures and videos again and again if it meant someone else was moving just even one step closer to considering God and maybe even becoming a believer. It's worth it, isn't it? You know, once we're in heaven, we'll be able to think about souls who are not saved and, you know, maybe think like, man, like, was there anything else I could have done? So let's let God use us now to be a light and a blessing to others. You know, there's one other reason that God decided that it was better to have the Israelites not go the direct route to the promised land, but to literally go all the way around and to get trapped in this situation where it seemed as though they were, they weren't really trapped. God had a plan, but it seemed as though Pharaoh was like, oh my goodness, they're trapped. Let's go after them. They weren't trapped. It was just a setup. And it says in verse 21 that Moses raised his hand over the sea and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. And the wind blew all that night and turning the seabed into dry land. The people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry land and with walls of water on each side. And then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea. Verse 24 says, but just before dawn, 
The Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, making the chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, away from these Israelites, the Egyptians shouted. The Lord's fighting for them against Egypt. When all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the sea again. And then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and the chariots and charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. And then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh. Of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And as the water stood up on both sides, that's how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So the final reason why the Lord might be leading through a detour that seems like, why are we going this way? It's not the most direct way. This is causing more frustration, irritation, annoyance. Why couldn't we just go the direct route? It's because he grew the faith of his people in him. So safely crossing the impassable waters and escaping from the Pharaoh that from Pharaoh was evidence upon which they would be asked to base their trust when encountering future struggles. When they have future struggles in the future, they have this to come back to in their head. Okay, no, I remember God, like he parted the sea, you walked through on dry, dry land. And as you and I are journeying on life's highway, let's trust that the Lord is leading. Yes, there'll be detours, unexpected turns, and the unexpected may cause irritation and frustration along the way. But the Lord is building your faith and building mine. And today I want to give permission to the Lord to direct my life as he sees fit. I just want to invite you that if you too want to say with me, Lord, direct my life, preferably with less detours. But Jesus, you see the end from the beginning. And please direct my life and give me courage for the journey, whichever route that you take. I want to invite you to say with me, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, you have permission to direct my life. I also want to invite you today that if today you're thinking, wow, this God is a God that I can trust. I haven't really totally put my, my trust in God. I kind of more so rely on myself. But today you're saying, I want, I want to put my trust in God. I want to rely on Him. And I want Him to be Lord of my life. I want to invite you to text Jesus to the number that you see on your screen today. 
Jesus is the one who we can put our complete trust in. He is the one that loves us even more than we realize. He's the one that we can put our faith in. And he wants to use our lives to be a blessing to others. So if you want to join me today and say, yes, Lord, I want courage for the journey. Or I want to say, God, I want my put, to put my complete trust in you. I want you to invite you to text Jesus today. Please join me for prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we are grateful that we can put our complete trust in you. Uh, sometimes this journey in life feels um, difficult and we don't know exactly where things are going. But I pray that you will strengthen our faith and our confidence in you. We pray that you'll give us courage for this journey of life. And we, I also want to pray for any friends today who have decided to go ahead and put their trust in you. I pray that you will nurture their their decision and um, that you will show you will show yourself to them in such a beautiful way that they have faith and confidence like wow this is my God and that Satan will not have any opportunity to steal their joy or steal their confidence in you. We thank you for hearing our prayer. We pray in the name of Jesus. If you are being blessed by this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us. You can give through our website at revisionchurchatlanta.org slash give. Or if you're local to Atlanta, Georgia, sign up to join a Revision volunteer team by texting CREW to 833-406-0775. That's CREW, C-R-E-W, to 833-406-0775. We hope you have a phenomenal week.